Listen, what I want to do in the next five weeks is just like Brent said, a miracle. Share with you every possible thing that you could possibly need to know. No, that's not what I'm going to do. I just thought what I would do is share with you five basic areas. They're not basic, but things that have been really strategic in my own Christian journey and my own Christian experience. And, and I consider them things that every person that's going to walk with the Lord really needs to know. So let's bow our heads for a word of prayer and then we'll jump into this this evening. Father, we thank you tonight for your goodness and your mercy and your love in our lives. Lord, where would we be without you? We'd be just so lost, so broken, so empty. Lord, what a joy it is to be in your presence and sing to you and worship you because you put a new song in our heart. Bless our night. Bless each of the other seminars. Might you really encourage and instruct and enlighten every person this evening. Send us on our way tonight encouraged and uplifted in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Ken, if you could put a little more in my monitor, I would appreciate it. The mains are different. I just need something coming at me. Otherwise, I'll push my voice too hard. Thank you very much. I'm still hacking away. Did I tell you what they found out I had? Whooping cough. Can you believe it? No, I'm not contagious anymore in case you were wondering. But you know you can die from that. You know how I found out after coming near death? Um, you know, I was hacking and hacking to the point of asphyxiation almost. And if I didn't stay really calm, I felt like I was going to lose it because I couldn't suck back in. My esophagus was, you know, doing all that stuff. So anyway, I was losing my voice and I went to the doctor Three times they did all that stuff. And finally I called the doctor and I said, you know, I think I have whooping cough. Oh, no, Mr. Darling, you can have whooping cough. I only see that in babies. I said, oh, no, I think I have whooping cough. Well, I don't think you do. So, but if you're not feeling very well in a few weeks, come in. So first they treated me for pneumonia, gave me Zithromax, didn't do anything. Then they treated me for uh, upper res- uh, sinus infection and gave me Augmentin, which is the strongest antibody they can give you for that. And I didn't get much better and... There's a girl at the Rock who, uh, at the same time, simultaneously has been hacking to the point of vomiting. I would, you know, kind of swallow it hard, and, and, but that's what it does. And you wake up, and, and, and they give you the strongest cough suppressant. Nothing can stop it. So she said, you know, Mark, they finally sent me to a pulmonary specialist. You know how managed care is. You beg and you beg. Send me to somebody who knows what they're doing. The secret code word, the secret way is send me to the specialist. Send me to the specialist. No, no, no. So anyway... She said, they diagnosed me with whooping cough. Had all the symptoms. So I got on the internet and, uh, you know, I logged on to, you know, all the secret Mayo Clinic stuff and all that. I, down the line, I, pertussis is the technical name for it. I had it. Every single thing. It's like all the doctor. And they said, well, you know, the doctor, I told the nurse first because, you know, you can't get to the doctor. I said, well, you know, I went and told him. He just said, just stay calm and just keep taking your medicine. I said, I mean, then you got to be a little more assertive. You're trying to stay in the spirit. And be assertive at the same time. I said, okay, excuse me, ma'am. I said, I really need to talk to the doctor. I'm willing to bet $1,000 I have whooping cough. I've talked to a friend who saw a pulmonary specialist. I have all the same identical symptoms. I went on the internet. I've been doing this, ma'am. I've been coughing for 45 days. I make my living with my voice. I have to stop this somehow. And I found that if I have whooping cough, I can end up having permanent asthma. And secondly, scar the esophagus. So I, I got to stop. Okay? She said, well, all right. I'll get the doctor. And I said, oh, and one final thought. I've been an MD since the day I was born. So I'm really sure I'm right. <laughs> so I said, add a little levity there. And 
Well, the doctor that had been treating me is gone, no longer at the clinic. See, so I had to get another guy. So, but anyway, he listened. I told him all the stuff, read the stuff, the text. He said, ah, I, I think you have whooping cough. Good. Hey, listen, I don't really don't have the time to come in. How about you call the pharmacy and prescribe asthma court and dioxycycline, and I'll just come in and pick it up. Is that okay? Sounds good to me. So he calls, you know. Oh, man, I tell you. So, brother, sister, if you're sick, you just call me, and for only $5, I'll treat you. Okay, I'm lying. I won't. Don't call me. All right. So, please go to Deuteronomy chapter 4. I want to talk to you tonight um, about probably what I believe is the most underused privilege and asset that we have as Christians. And we're going to start by looking at Deuteronomy 4 and verse 7. For what great nation has a God as near to them as the Lord our God is near to us whenever we call on Him? For what great nation has a God as near to them as the Lord our God is near to us whenever we call on Him? Recently I went and saw the movie Three Kings. I wouldn't recommend it, by the way, but I went. And, you know, it's a little bit about the, the war in for Kuwait and in, in Iraq. And, and so, of course, they have a number of scenes in the movie of these devout Muslims bowing down on their prayer rug and praying towards Mecca. Praying towards Mecca. And I don't know if you know much about Islam. I don't know a whole lot, but I know enough to know that every night they get up at least once, if not two or three times, at every so many intervals, whether you want to or not, and you go in, lay your carpet down, and you bow to Mecca. <clears throat> it's mind-blowing to know that no matter how sincere and how much they pray, Allah doesn't hear. Because Allah does not exist. Or if you took all the people in the world and all their devoutness, and they bow to their Buddha belly, or they bow to their stone, or they bow to their totem pole, all of it, is in vain because wood has no ears, a stone has no power to respond. But what great nation is like the people of God who can call on Him whenever we want and He listens and He responds? And I want to talk with you this evening about prayer. I believe that as Christians, frankly, it's probably the most neglected habit in our lives. We pray way too little. We take far too little advantage of this extraordinary privilege that God gives us, this ability to communicate with Him wherever we are, at any time, and know that it's not in vain that the supreme being of the universe, the most powerful being in the universe, hears our prayer, listens to us, goes into action, and responds to the needs of His children. I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 6. I have a number of passages I want you to look at this evening. I first just want to touch here on the life of Jesus. For those of you that don't know, Jesus was both man and God. Jesus said of Himself, I and the Father are one. He equated himself in full equality with the Father. And it's why the Jews wanted him killed. Jesus said, Before Abraham was, before David was, I am. 
That was an unbelievable statement to make about yourself because in the Old Testament, Yahweh, which is a name for God, <clears throat> one of them, told Moses, if they ask you who sent you, tell them, I am sent you. And Jesus said, I am. Jesus said, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. And yet we look at Luke 6 and <clears throat> verse 12 and we see this. One day soon afterward, Jesus went to a mountain to pray and he prayed to God all night. <clears throat> I remember when I first uh, got with the church in Ames years ago. I first got with this movement. It's almost 24 years ago. And uh, they had this practice about once a month after the Friday night. We had a Friday night service. It was the Friday night Bible study. And after the singing and then after the sharing of the word, we would go meet <clears throat> in this church and they had an upper fellowship hall. And about 50 to 100 of us would gather and we would pray from 11 o'clock until 4 or 5 in the morning. This movement was bathed in that kind of prayer. <clears throat> and we would pray. And I remember as a young man reading about the life of Jesus and, and it dawning on me that if God's going to be able to use me, then I've got to learn to pray. Because prayer is what moves the hand of God. Prayer is what involves God in our lives. God has chosen, <clears throat> for whatever reasons, to in many ways restrain Himself in our lives unless we invite Him, unless we ask. And I'm going to show you that this evening. <clears throat> I want you to turn to Mark chapter 1 and verse 35. <clears throat> and we'll see... Again, a very similar pattern here with Jesus. Only a little different time of day. The next morning, Jesus awoke long before daybreak and went out alone into the wilderness to pray. Long before daybreak. I can only guess <clears throat> that it was 3 or 4 in the morning. It might have been 5, although I can tell you this, when I go to Honduras, they don't change their clocks. Frankly, I wished we didn't change ours. I think it really throws off a human being. But in Honduras, the sun comes up about 4.30 and it's dark at 6 p.m. every night. I like that. And once you get used to it, you really like it because it really flows with your body rhythm. That sun comes up, it's just so easy to get out of bed and face your day. <clears throat> I have a feeling that probably Jesus didn't have daylight savings time either. And so probably in Jerusalem there and Nazareth and, and the heat of the beginning of the morning, Jesus got up. Probably the sun came up around 5. He probably was up long before daybreak. So maybe 3 in the morning. Getting alone with the Father. Prioritizing His life. Seeking God's blessing on His ministry. Talking to God about the concerns that He had. And the interest of the disciples. And praying for these men and women that He was training for the most important mission in the world. And yet, quite frankly... Many Christians, we can barely get ourselves out of bed in the morning, just in enough time, grab our cup of coffee, uh, head out the door, and off to work we go. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 16, <clears throat> we see this. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness to pray. Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness to pray. In the New American Standard Bible, uh, it says in, in, one verse, or in one passage, and I think this is the passage, Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place to pray. And I just want you to ask yourself, before we go on here today, 
Is it your practice to withdraw often to a lonely, secluded, quiet, undistracted place to pray? If it isn't, and you really want the life of Jesus molded in you, and you want world impact, and you want to see, for example, your father, you want your family to be God's. You want your marriage to be God's. You want your life to reflect Christ. Then there's a price to pay. As a young man, as a new father, as my regular habit, to go to a lonely place wherever I was living at the time, at the time it was Ames, and pray about my family. I was never so arrogant or so naive or so dull-hearted to think that I could possibly raise this family without the blessing and the wisdom of God to do it. I wasn't so naive or pig-headed or stubborn to believe that I could become a husband that God wanted me to be in this marriage if I do not often withdraw to a lonely place and get alone just me and God. And yet we're coming to a point in our lives where we just can't stand to be separated from our cell phone or our pager or our car or anything or people. If you want to avail yourself of what God has for you, you've got to learn to practice privacy. Practice taking time to get along with God. I have places all over the city, but one for 13 years that I've been going to is at Fort Snelling. And within the first week that I moved to, I didn't know the city, I began to drive around just a little bit. And I found I live near the airport, and I live near this state park. So I went down in that state park and I drove to the back of that state park and lo and behold, there's a big shelter there. I went in the shelter and lo and behold, there's a massive fireplace stocked with firewood all the time. And so it became my regular practice two or three times during the week to go down to that place, put put uh, shims under the door so no one else could get into my place. Of course, it hardly is ever used anyway. And that's the other beautiful thing about it. And I would build this raging fire and I'd have my little boots on my mittens and I'd walk around that fire and I'd talk to God about this church before we got it even started. About my life, about uh, the people who I didn't know your names, but I was praying then, God give us fruit, God give us labors, God help us to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to this city. I didn't do that because I was a pastor. I did that because that had been my habit long before as a young man. Any person any of you who want to really go deep in your life with God and you want God to be molded in you, you've got to get along with the Lord and pray. Acts chapter 1. Turn there with me for just a moment. I want to show you now that this was the practice of the early church. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 14. Notice it says, They all met together continually for prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus during this time. On that day when about 120 believers were present, Peter stood up and addressed as follows. Okay? So obviously, they prayed, but they were also talking. Peter also sharing. But I want you to notice a couple ironic things about this. First of all, in Judaism... Women never prayed with the men. And they still don't to this day. This was unparalleled in the history of godness. 
that men and women were right there together, co-equal before God, praying, talking to God, seeking God. And as you go through the whole New Testament, you see the frequency in Acts of men and women gathered together in homes, praying. When Peter was in prison, the church was gathered in homes and they were praying for his release. And God responded in a miraculous way. Miraculous things happen when we believe God together and we're seeking Him for what only He can do. You see, prayer, prayer and, and our willingness to practice prayer is a reflection of a personal belief in your heart. And that belief is that I am nothing without God. I am powerless to accomplish anything lasting without God. And in humility, I ask God for Him to work, for Him to move. If you're not a prayer, you're not humble. If you're not a prayer, you're not God-dependent. If you're not a prayer, even though you may think you're dependent upon God, you're independent, self-dependent, and it's no wonder there's little supernaturalness going on in our lives. Now, prayer is also, and we'll see this in a few moments, it can be practiced anywhere. I remember um, uh, many mothers have asked me this, my own wife. I remember when we had little babies, you know, she couldn't just leave and go drive the car, go out in the garage like I did. So often, when she was up in the middle of the night nursing the baby, she would sit in that chair rocking and pray. There's always a time to pray. There's always a place to pray. We just get creative. Maybe the only time you get is in the shower. You know, they're standing in the shower loud. Oh, God, help that pig of a husband. And he's right outside the room. You know, you pray silently, Lord. Give me grace with that guy. Help me with him, Lord. Maybe you're fixing dinner and, you know, your children are going to school. Or maybe you're over your lunch hour. My son is his practice when he has his lunch hour. To go out into his car or to walk down to a lake just a little ways down from the construction company where he works and just walk around the path and pray. Pray for the people in his small group. There's always time to do it. Go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. <clears throat> it says... Um, in verse 41, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church about 3,000 in all. They joined with the other believers and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which would be like, you know, this kind of a time, to fellowship, which would be like your small group, sharing the Lord's Supper, which would be like here, and to prayer. And of course, the other thing they were devoted to, and it's all through the New Testament, that's our weekend, was evangelism. But right here, we see they were devoted to prayer. I wonder if someone knew you well enough, would they say, could they say of you, they're devoted to prayer. They're a prayer. He's a prayer. She's a prayer. They're just always committing things to God. They're always seeking Him for His leading. Turn with me, if you would, to Colossians. Chapter 4. I want to show you this in the life of Paul. It's fairly obvious, that, especially if you've been reading your one-year Bible. How many of you have still been enjoying your one-year Bible? Good. You like that? Has it been helpful for you? Helpful? It's helpful, isn't it? I mean, it's good to have a Bible like this, you know, that's chronological and all that. But that one-year Bible, I love it. 
I might have got like uh, 10 pages left in my journal. How are you hanging in? Your journal's almost full there? It's pretty encouraging. Your second one, is that encouraging? How many of you have been doing the journal? Okay with you about Very good. Very proud. That's very good. Okay? If you haven't, don't get discouraged. Just grab it and do it. Start today. Start tomorrow. But it's a good habit to get into. All right. If you read the epistles, most of them Paul wrote, you discover that he begins all of them almost by telling them, I've been praying for you. You're on my heart. And he even says some of the things he prays for him. But in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2, Paul writes, Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Don't forget to pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to preach about His secret plan that Christ is also for you Gentiles. That is why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Now, there's a few things that strike me about this passage. First of all, is His command, devote yourself to prayer. Devote yourself to it. I mean, to be honest, it's underlying in the Scripture. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm going to say now. There isn't even a verse in the Bible that says, devote yourself to evangelism. Okay, but we see it. We see the command. We see the Great Commission. It's all throughout the New Testament. So there doesn't really need to be. But I think it's ironic that the Bible tells us more than once, devote yourself to prayer. Do you know why? Prayer is pre-evangelism. There is no effective, spirit-filled, fruitful evangelism if there wasn't prayer first. And then notice what Paul says to pray for now. I've got to be honest. If you were in chains, what would you ask your friends to pray for? Would you pray that I'd get out of these, please? Pray that in the mighty name of Jesus, I would be released from my captivity? I, th- I think that would be normal, wouldn't it? You know, there's never a time that Paul asked for that in the entire New Testament. Once. He never says, you know, it's getting hard. I'm in prison now, uh, cumulatively, if I added all the years together, ten years of my life. It's getting old. Pray that it wouldn't happen again. You know why he didn't pray that? Because if he praying against the will of God, it was God's will he was in prison. His being in prison was a result of him preaching the gospel. The only way he could stay out of prison was to shut up. And he knew that just wasn't possible, right? Then notice what he prays. Pray that God would give me many opportunities to share his secret message. Do you ask for that every day? How many of you, I want you to raise your hand for this, at least three times a week, say, Lord, give me opportunities in my day-to-day, at my job with friends, to share my testimony and the good news of Jesus Christ. Raise your hand if that's some of these three times a week you do. Raise them high. Now, I want you all to look around the room. I don't want to make, you know, say they're better than you. Put your hands down. I just wanted to make a simple illustration. Is it any wonder that we haven't filled this auditorium yet on the weekends? Is it any wonder? What does the Bible say in James? You have not. Why? Well, say it again. You have not. Is that hard? Is that hard? I was sharing this last night a little bit with our, with the Rock because on Tuesdays we meet and one of the young ladies we've been getting to know there, uh, she, uh, my son took her back to the dormitory uh, because we give her a ride occasionally on the way because it's right on our way. She didn't have a car and. And uh, 
So she was going to work out, and she wrote me this in an email today. She said, oh, I was thinking about what you said, Mark, and praying. And so I was on the Stairmaster, and she really likes to work out. So I'm working out, I'm working out, and looking forward to a great workout. But I was praying, Lord, give me an opportunity. Fifteen minutes into my workout, this young man walks up that I knew from years ago. And he was in a talkative mood. Next thing I know, he asked me a question. There was the door. I got up the Stairmaster, stood beside it for the next 40 minutes, shared Christ with him. You see, prayer gives us the willingness to change our agenda and to go with the divine opportunities the Lord gives us. But when we don't pray, we aren't alert to what comes up. And so prayer makes us alert, makes us sharp, but also God answers our prayer. God answers our prayers. I want you to go to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter 4 and, and verse 7. And it says, the end of the world is coming soon. That's true whether you realize it or not. Peter was writing it then because he expected Christ to come back. All of the apostles expected Christ to come back before they died. The way the New Testament is written makes that clear. Now whether or not they understood Jesus, that's debatable. Whether or not they understood Isaiah and Daniel, that's debatable. My only simple point and observation is that it's coming really soon. Of course, if a day to God is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day, then it's been two thousand years since Jesus came, it's been two days, as far as God's concerned. Do you understand? Time is very short with God. It's very short. And, and, and all of us realize, it seems like yesterday, I was 18, and it seems like, real quick, I'm going to be 60. I'm, only, I'm closer to 60 than I am to 20. That's pretty mind-blowing for me. But I just remind myself of that to illustrate, boom, life's gone. It's just here, it's gone. So get a grasp of that, and then look what he says. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. The Bible says in another version, the end of all things is at hand, therefore be sober-minded and self-controlled for the purpose of prayer. Sober-minded means, not that you're sad and serious all the time. It means that you have a good grasp between reality and fantasy. You're focused. You have a grasp on life. And you know what's really important. Self-controlled means that you put your body in subjection to your highest priorities. And one of a Christian's highest priorities should be prayer. See, is to pray. is to seek the Lord. Now please go to Luke chapter 18. Luke 18. We're going to read this little story that Jesus told his disciples. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to illustrate their need for constant prayer. And I've underlined that, you know, constant prayer. And then to show them they must never give up. And I must confess, that's a difficult thing. There are times as I've prayed over the years, it's just, I, don't, I give up on that. So he tells him the story. There was a judge in a certain city. He said, who was a godless man with great contempt for everybody. So in other words, this is the last guy you would ever expect to respond or act on your behalf. And then he says, there was a widow in the city and she came to him repeatedly 
appealing for justice against someone who had harmed her. The judge ignored her for a while, but eventually she wore him out. I fear neither God nor man, he said to himself, but this woman is driving me crazy. I can relate to that. I don't, no more. I, I just, you know, I understand how the judge feels. I have two daughters, but one of my daughters in particular is very crafty. She's masterful with daddy, the eyes, the tears. She, and I love her to pieces and boy, fine, Jessica, go ahead. Go ahead. I give. I give up. You know, she just, she's really a joy to me. She's not really a nag, but there are times she knows just how to work it, you know, and get to dad's heart. And you know, if you learn how to work it, you learn how to get to God's heart. And we're going to find out here in just a moment. He's far easier to touch than this judge. Then he says this, I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, Learn a lesson from this evil judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who plead with him and underline this day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant them justice quickly. But when I, the Son of Man, return, how many will I find who have faith? Now you may have read that before and you think to yourself, faith, prayer. Why didn't he say, well, when I return, will I find anybody praying? Because they're synonymous. Your faith in God is exhibited by the quantity both of request and of the time that you request. That's where faith is really shown. We realize that God and only God can call into being that which does not exist. This verse was brought home to me in a couple of ways that I'd like to share with you this evening. One was um, about, well, I only had two children at the time, and they were very small. Uh, I think they were um, eight months and almost two. And um, I was in business for myself with another guy. And we were in this drug marketing business, and no, it wasn't Amway, but it was a business similar to that. And so we were working hard, and our business was growing, and, and that's how I was making my living. It wasn't a lot of money. It was enough just to pay our bills, put food on the table. And uh, finally we got to the point in this business where you got this new car bonus. But you could only use the, that, that money would only be given once you proved to them you had the car. And then, and then they made the payment. So my partner, uh, dear Christian brother, he had just gotten a car. So he said, well, we'll make that bonus part of your pay and then I'll take the other pay and you can, that way we'll get the bonus. Okay. So I went out and I, I bought a car. I think at the time, I think it was a brand new 82 Cutlass Supreme Brome with spoked wheels. So it looked successful. That was part of the, the reason they wanted you to get a car. So I got the car and, um, and a month later, the bottom of our business dropped out. There was no more business. It was basically gone in well, about a month and a half. So I got this car with these $250 payments and I'm going, hmm, what am I going to do? Well, I don't want to be unethical and I never want to have them repossess it. So I called them on the phone and said, here's the deal, way before the payment was due the second month. And I said, I took immaculate care of it. How about I just bring it back to you? I said, well, 
we'll take it back for $600. I said, well, you got me over a barrel. I don't have a choice. I'll come down and sign the papers. So I signed the papers and began a payment plan towards $600 for them to take the car back. So here I am, new dad, um, you know, two little children. One, You know, I, I made a mistake, actually. We brought Jeremy home from the hospital in that car. So Celeste was almost one, and, and Jeremy was a brand new baby. So, you know, you're, and I'm, let me tell you, that's a lot of pressure. I got no job, no car, no money in the bank, no insurance, no workman's comp, and no rich relatives. <laughs> so, I'm thinking... Okay, I, I, I'm not going to walk out like my dad did. I'm not going to walk away from these responsibilities. Oh yeah, I do have God. I do have God. Now, when you're young in your faith and you're young in life, that doesn't seem like a lot. And I began to go over these promises and so I just began to pray every day, Lord, I need a job. Lord, I need a job. And then I began to go through the business section of the Ames phone book. I started in the A's and I called everybody. I said... And they answered the phone. I said, yes. I was wondering if I could speak to the personnel director. Always sounds professional when you say that. Most of the places didn't have a personnel director. I knew that, but I wanted to sound like I knew what I was talking about. And they said, uh, can, you, can I direct someone else? I said, yeah, whoever does the hiring. Your human resource department. And then they'd say, well, what can you do? And I said, whatever you need. <laughs> what do you need? I can do it. And sometimes they laugh. Sometimes they'd hang up, but I didn't know what else to say because I had no skill. I'd been a machinist, been a cook. I worked on an oil field. I can dig ditches. I can pound a hammer. Whatever you need, I'll try to do it. Finally, after about a month, um, I had that last check. You know, I mean, it was a, I didn't have any savings, but I, a few checks came in the mail that were, uh, you know, the business went down. We didn't know anything. There were a few commission checks coming. So we'd go buy a fryer chicken, a bag of potatoes, a bag of carrots, boil them, and make chicken soup, and ate it for every meal. And then what we fed Celeste, what we had a given, been given a Cuisinart uh, food processor, and it goes fast enough to take the potatoes and puree them, and we'd feed them to her. And that's what she had for every meal. That went on for quite some time. Finally, I got a hold of this auto parts place, and they said, well, my gosh, we just let a guy go this morning. How do you know that? I said, I didn't. I said, I'm just, uh, you happen to be next in line in the phone book. And the guy said, why don't you come in and fill out an application? So a friend loaned me his car. I filled out the application. I went home. I committed to the Lord. They called me back and said, well, now you need to talk to the guy in Marshalltown. And that's a 50-mile drive. So a friend loaned me his car. And I went and talked to him. The guy gave me 10 minutes of time. I drove in a blizzard to get there. Drove home. And he went a very friendly guy. And I didn't know if he was going to hire me. But I, again, went back to the Lord. Lord, it's all I've got. And I know you don't play with your children's emotions. This isn't a game. You know we're really hurting here. I really need a job. And um, finally, uh, two days later, I called. I never wait for people to call me. It's one of my downfalls. I just can't wait. And he said, oh, I was just getting ready to call you. Uh, we'd like you to start Monday morning. And you realize you need your own car. I said, yes, sir, I realize that. And uh, I look forward to starting the job. Now, I didn't lie because he didn't ask me, do you have a car? If he would have, I would have said no. <laughs> he just assumed I had one and said, you need a car. And I said, yes, sir, I understand that. That was Friday night. <clears throat> I had no credit, no place to go for a car, 
and I knew nobody would loan me money to get one. I didn't want to be a burden to anybody, but I knew I could be a burden to God. So, most of Saturday, off and on, I prayed, Lord, thank you for providing the job. Again, Lord, please don't play with my emotions. This is all there's been. I'm, I start in the A's, Lord. I'm at the S's. There aren't many businesses left in town. Lord, please provide a car. I don't know how you're going to do it. I really don't, Lord. Please provide a car. Well, Sunday, Saturday came and went. Sunday morning came and went. Friend picked us up. We went to church. Came home. Prayed some more. Sunday evening came. No car. Prayed some more. Was tuck, getting, you know, Celeste ready for bed. It's about 10 o'clock. The phone rang. Is this Mark, darling? Yeah, this is Mark. Mark, you don't know me, but uh, I heard you need a car. Um, yeah, I need a car. Well, I was wondering if you'd use mine. Well, why don't you explain to me what we're talking about here? Well, I work right across the street from my job at the university. I have a car. It's not an antique or anything, but it's been in a garage in storage for nine months. It's really not that good, my mechanic tells me, to have it just sitting there, not being driven once in a while. So I was wondering if you would serve me by driving my car. <laughs> I said, okay, you know, I'd be glad to serve you, but let's just make sure you understand that I have to put some miles on it, I have to drive on this little route, and I have to go on gravel roads. Is that okay? Perfect. It's just what I'd like. It's, then, so then, this girl's name was Marty. I hardly knew her. Found out later, we went to the same church. Then, then she said, is there anything else I could do for you? I said, well, there's one more thing. Could you bring it over now? <laughs> sure, I'll bring it over for the next nine months. Marty let me use her car. It's the only way I made it. Now, of course, you know how thankful I am for the body of Christ. But I'm personally convinced it never would have happened if I had not been praying. And that God set that whole thing up to teach me that lesson. Because as I've gone forward now as a pastor, that, that thing has come in really handy. If I had not learned how to depend on God as a daddy with two kids, how in the world am I going to rely on God feeling responsible for about 3,000 people? You follow what I'm saying? So then, as this job progressed, I found out the guy lied to me. And I was going to, get, I was going to make exactly half of what he told me, which meant I needed to go get another job on top of that job. So I wrote down a piece of paper exactly what I wanted. I said, Lord, <clears throat> I want a job that uh, is not uh, physically exhausting because I'm going to need to work about 70, 80 hours a week. And, um, <clears throat> but I'd like something like, oh, a video arcade where I can sit, there'll be some people there, but it's not super taxing, and then I have the strength to drive this route. So the first place, I did the same thing. Only I was to the Z's by now. So I called Zap Video Arcade. The guy said, gee, we're just looking for somebody today. Can you come down? said, sure. I went down. They gave me the job. So I started there. In the meantime, on my sales route, I had to call on these very gruff type of people. I would go into gas stations, uh, dealerships, and these little country places. <clears throat> More than one guy, when they found out where I was from, swore at me, cussed at me, and told me to get the blankety-blank out and never come back. All because of the reputation that the guy who hired me had as a liar and a cheat and a human pig. Well, I had to overcome that. So all these obstacles, like God was going, okay, here's a new obstacle course. Here's a new one. Here's a new one. One day after uh, being sworn out of Larry's 66, 
I got in my car, I went to a park, and I sat in the car, and I have to be honest, I was quite discouraged. And I began to cry. And I thought, you know, Lord, I'm trying to take care of two babies and my wife. And you told me years ago that if I seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness, you'd provide everything else. And Lord, I'm sorry, it doesn't seem like you're holding up your end of the deal. I went through hell to get this girl. I suffered greatly because her parents hated my guts. I never turned my back on you. I never denied you. Lord, please help me out. I don't know what to do. And nobody even wants to talk to me. I'm competing against five other, five other auto parts stores in this town. And one of them has three girls who wear bikinis who deliver all the parts. So God, what am I supposed to do? How do I compete? And all the other auto parts stores have overnight delivery service. My guys won't do that. It takes three days to get any special part they want. So gee, Lord... I guess this is a God-sized thing. I need help. You know what the Lord took me to? Matthew 18. Or Luke 18, I'm sorry. Luke 18. This story. And here's how it went. The Lord said to me, Mark, first of all, Larry 66, he has no power over you. The real, the real customer that you need to call on is me. I call the shots in your business. All these guys are pawns for me to move any way I want changed my whole paradigm. You see, going to a lot of these guys were like the unrighteous judge, but I realized God was the one who I needed to request business from. And then after I had done that, just go talk to the minions. And that's what I did. And you know what happened that year? The store went from $10,000 a month to $20,000 a month in business. It had never done that in the history of the store. I didn't know very much about cars. I still don't know. I know a little more because I was in the industry. God taught me that no matter what it is we need, He provides. He works through prayer. God loves to respond to our needs. One of the things that I've wanted to do over the years, I'll close with this thought, is um, teach my children the reality of these things because, you know, as a father... I've wanted to nurture my children on God's stories. It's hard to nurture them on God's stories if you don't have any. Right? I mean, you know, certainly we're to teach them the Old Testament. We're to teach them the God stories of the Old Testament. But the Bible makes it very clear. If you read in your one-year Bible recently, Psalm 78, and I wrote this one down. It was a very long one. That I want you to teach your children so that the children not yet born will know about me and set their hope in God so they won't be stubborn and rebellious like their forefathers. And one of the primary secrets to that is teaching your children in an authentic way the reality of God. Because, you know, when you, when you learn the reality of God, nothing else will substitute for it. So, uh, two little stories. One, some of you may know, if you've heard it, you probably heard a lot of my stories. So bear with me, because I know some of you are new. But about uh, a year and a half ago, my little son Micah, he's ten now, but he was uh, eight, eight and a half. He was uh, used to sleep with Jeremy, his older brother, because they have a, a big bed. But he started putting his knees in Jeremy's back all the time, and Jeremy wasn't getting a good night's sleep, so it was time to have Micah go somewhere else. We have a two-bedroom house, so there's two bedrooms upstairs, and then the basement has no like technical bedrooms. It's just open, finished area. So Jeremy sleeps in an open area down there, and I have an office in the other end, and then there's this family TV room with a couch, so... I told Michael, well, Michael, we'll just put a sleeping bag on the couch. You can sleep on the couch. 
So he did it for a long time. The reason I, uh, well, I won't get into that. So anyway, one day he came to me and he said, Dad, uh, I really like a bed. <laughs> Can I get a bed? And I said, well, I don't know, Mikey, you know, a lot of little children all over the world, they sleep on the floor. And, and, and I've told you this before. And, and Dad, you know me, I'm sleeping right above you on the couch every night. I do that because I cough so much that I keep my wife up. It's not because we don't have a good relationship or we never get together. We do, and I love her. It's just, it was just an easy solution to what seemed to be a complicated problem. She needs her sleep. Her health is far more fragile than mine, so I just go out on the couch. That's all. He goes, well, I know, Dad, but I'd really like to get a bed. So a couple weeks later, Kathy came to me and said, you know, Mark, it's really on Micah's mind. He'd really like to get a bed. He'd like to get a futon. So Micah then came to me and said, Dad, I'd like to get a futon. Well, a good futon, you know, is four or $500. So I said to Micah, I said, you know what, Micah? All right, this was around the middle of October. I said, let's you and me together pray for a futon. And one way or the other, by Christmas, we'll get one. How's that? He said, all right, Dad. So every day, I'd tuck him in at night. Uh, on the couch, I pray, Lord, me and Micah, we just pray for a futon. We pray that you'd provide us with a really good deal on a futon bed, couch, because it's couch bed. So, two weeks later, I'm at church. A guy comes up to me and says, Mark, you got to meet my new friend. It's his first time here. So I went up and met him. <clears throat> Turns out uh, he travels a lot as he was telling me about his life. I said, well, what do you do? He goes, well, I sell furniture. I travel all over the United States. I said, you do. You sell furniture. He goes, yeah. By the way, you ever need anything? Let me know. I can get it wholesale. I said, well, um, you sell futons? You know, no, I don't sell futons. But I know some guys that do. I said, well, I'll tell you what. I'll think about it and you know, maybe we'll touch base again. And I was just getting ready to leave for Honduras the next uh, two days later. So I turn around and walk away and I hear these footsteps running down the hall. And it's this guy. He goes, Mark. Wait a minute. He goes, this guy lives in this palatial house on Lake Harriet. I've been to it once. And he's a single guy, 45, and he makes a lot of dough selling furniture. And he said, you know, about a year ago, I had my nephew stay with me, and I didn't have anything for him, so I bought a futon. Um, but that was for one week. It's just been sitting up there in the room. It's never used. I never go in that room. He's got, there's a lot of rooms. <laughs> and, and he said, uh, maybe we can work something out. I said, I'll tell you what, when I get back to Honduras, we'll talk. So I didn't tell Mike anything yet because I didn't want to get his hopes up. I went to Honduras, I came back, and I, and, I, and I tried to call the guy, couldn't get a hold of him, I couldn't find his, I must have the wrong number. I forgot how to spell his last name. I didn't see him for weeks. It was about Thanksgiving. And one night on Wednesday night, I show up and here he is. And I said, we'll just call him. Bob. I call everybody Bob. He gives me a hug. I give him a hug. And he goes, hey, that futon, still waiting. I said, yeah. I see. I've been trying to get a hold of you. I said, um, how much do you want for it? I said, let's just work out a deal. I've been thinking. I don't want nothing for it. I said, no, no, listen. I don't want to do that. I give you 300 for it, 200 for it. You, you settle on something you want for it. He says, look, I have a lot of money. I don't need the futon. It's been sitting there collecting dust. You come and pick it up. You can have it. I said, are you really sure you want to do that? He said, I'm sure I want to do it. It's just sitting there. 
and my nephew's not coming back, and I'm not getting married, at least for a long time. I said, okay. I went home to Micah, and you should have seen the look on his face when I told him, we now have a God story together, Micah. You see? I could, I could spend a lot of time, I'll end now, telling about the stories of my children's schooling, my older children's jobs, the exact requests that we made on a, on, a, you know, on a mental list, and we prayed for them, and God did them. Brother and sister, I want to urge you, take advantage of the opportunity to pray. Talk to God. Get alone with God. Unload your heart to God. Give God your burdens. Give God your worries. Give God your concerns. And talk to Him about what you want and what you need, and about your friends, and that God will give you opportunities. And you know what? Tell you what? You're going to have supernatural God stories of your own, and you're going to see God getting involved in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for the privilege of prayer. It's not complicated. There's not even a certain way to pray. We just get alone, and we talk to you. Or we're driving in our car. We just turn the radio off. We say, Lord, thank you for my job. Thank you, Lord, for this car I'm driving in. Thank you, Lord, for the heater that's working. And Lord, I just thank you so much for saving me. I thank you, Lord, so much for the church that I get to belong to and the dear people that you've put in my life. Father, I just want to tell you, you know, I could use a raise. I have some unexpected bills. And and I just want to ask you, Lord, that you'd somehow increase my financial ability. Lord, I just pray that you'd teach us to be like little children. You said, unless we become like little children, we'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And even beyond that, Lord, you said the kingdom of heaven belongs to little children. My little children, when they were small especially, they asked for anything. They weren't hesitant about a thing. Help us, Lord, I pray, to take advantage of this great privilege you've given us, this command to ask you for whatever we want, whatever we need and to believe that you're going to respond. Help us to prevail. Help us to persevere. Help us to never get up, give up. And help us to regularly get alone and talk to you about the souls of men and women and about our own dear loved ones and our own family and our own life. In Jesus' name, amen.